I heard years ago, and I, I just believe in this, that the, the best gift you can give your kids is to love each other. So if you put your relationship as a top priority, as not secondary, not down the line, six other priorities or, or someplace else, but put it as a top priority and take those moments, go on date nights. You don't have to spend a lot of money. There are websites out there that will give you suggestions on things to do on a date night that are free. So find those things, you know, if money's an issue or go out for a great dinner if money's not an issue, you know, or whatever, but spend time just the two of you. Listen to the vibes. Welcome everyone to another episode of Listen to the Vibes and I'm very happy to welcome back Miss Kim Sorrell. Um, she is not only a cancer survivor, but she is also an author and a speaker. And you said you're into life coaching now? Well, I love, love, love coaching, love yeah. coaching. All right. Well, I'm interested to get caught up with you, but um, I guess catch us up to speed. Yeah. Kyle, first of all, it's so great to see you. And uh, yeah, I started love coaching, which has really been great. I wondered how to help people. I, I've coached my whole life. I coached basketball for 25 years. I coached volleyball for 17 years. And in a lot of ways, coaching is coaching. Uh, you get the best out of your athletes. You get the best out of people and help them in the best ways. And so it's really been interesting. Um, people with marriage problems that are back on track and uh, headed to divorce and no longer and uh, families reunited, people that have had issues with a family member or a friend and uh, mended some stuff from the past and um, uh, all kinds of stuff or just wanting to live this life better and, and really do it right. So it's been fun. Well, I can imagine with uh, the lockdowns that we had that probably probably did cause a few divorces. Did you uh, encounter a lot of those folks? Well, I, I think people went one way or the other. Kind of like <laughs> when you have a sick child or you go through some big traumatic thing, either people got close or they went, why the heck are we together all the time? And so uh, some Marriages, I think, got a lot stronger, and some maybe went away. Well, I'll, I have to say, um, the time that I've had with my wife has just been incredible, and and uh, she she's been able to work from home, and they kind of went hybrid, so she's working most of the week at home and only a couple of days in the office, and I, I think our marriage has gotten stronger. We actually get to spend a little bit more time really getting to know each other even more you know when i was working and then she was working from the office i mean we hardly spend any time together we come home in the evening cook supper sit down and watch tv for a while wash up and then go to bed and that was our routine until the weekends and then usually by the weekend we're both so tired we don't feel like doing anything and I mean, I don't know if you remember um, from the last time we talked, but, you know, I have a disease in my spine where the bone's deteriorating. And so I had to retire. And so most of my days are home and it would get lonely from time to time. 
when she was gone and uh, now she's home most of the time. It's great. <laughs> and she's not listening, that. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. You know, I think there's this common uh, misconception that if you're apart, you know, like I, I travel for work, I run a nonprofit organization. So sometimes I'd be a week or two in some country in Africa and come home to my husband and and you think that it's going to be this big honeymoon time, right? Like, oh my gosh, we've been apart. It's so great. Be back together and whatever. But it actually puts stress on our marriage. And a lot of relationships are like that. When there's a separation, it can put stress on your marriage. And so to be together more, it makes sense that that things would be better. What I would think that, you know, a short time being away from each other yeah, you're going to be excited to see each other once you know your partner. Like, if my wife has to go take care of her mom, who I mean, we, we're up here in Austin and her mom's down in Houston. So she'd be gone for a day or two. And then when she finally get home, you know, like, oh, I'm so glad you're home. But then when you get in that routine of being away from each other so much, I think, you know, I don't know, maybe you tend to get used to being apart that much. And that's where the strain comes in. Yeah, I think that's part of it. And I think some of it is expectation. Some of it is, well, it should be this time that, like for me, I would come home from somewhere not, I couldn't wait to see my husband. And I anticipated this great homecoming. Like when you used to be able to go to the gate at the airport, I don't know if you remember those days back in the day before TSA, and you'd see these reunions, right? People would come off the airplane and people would run up and hug them. And, and it was like this great moment. And sometimes it was a family member friend, but a lot of times it was a couple, you know, that was maybe somebody lives somewhere and they're coming to visit or w- welcome home, whatever it was. I wanted those moments. Like I wanted to get off the plane yeah. and have my husband standing there waiting for me and him run to me. And we fall into each other's arms and we have this great romantic love fest. And uh, I didn't get those moments, but I expected them. So I was disappointed that I didn't get those moments that he just, you know, hey, how are you? <laughs> kind of thing instead of this you know, big lifetime movie moment. And <laughs> so I, I think that screwed me up a lot was my expectation compared to reality. I think it messes up a lot of relationships, really. Expectation. Um, is is uh, money problem still like the number one thing that causes uh, most uh, relationships to break down? Well, money problems and uh, kids. But I think the issue is it's not really money problems. That That's not really the issue. Mm-hmm. The issue is knowing each other, loving each other the right way, understanding what love really is, and then loving each other the right way, you should be able to get through pretty much anything. And uh, so money just kind of is a symptom rather Mm. than the actual issue. Well, in my circle, the, the relationships that have fallen apart, it seems like the, you know, you know, Hate to say it, but I'm getting older and, uh, you know, I'm a grandpa, but our kids are, they're growing up and they're moving on. And then you're kind of left with a stranger in the household because they 
spent so much time about the kids they didn't spend as much time about each other and getting to know each other i'm sure you run across that quite a bit yeah well uh that's unfortunately all too common and i heard years ago and i i just believe in this that the the best gift you can give your kids is to love each other so if you put your relationship as a top priority as not secondary, not down the line, six other priorities or, or someplace else, but put it as a top priority and take those moments, go on date nights. You don't have to spend a lot of money. There are websites out there that will give you suggestions on things to do on a date night that are free. So find those things, you know, if, if money's an issue or go out for a great dinner if money's not an issue, you know, or whatever. But spend time just the two of you. One of the problems I think too that happens is goes back to expectations. So mm-hmm. I expect that I love romance. I love love romance, and so I expected my husband to provide the romance because mm-hmm. you watch the movie The Notebook. She's not providing the romance. He is. You know any any of the movies, any of the romantic movies. It's always the man with the big grand gestures. And so I expected that from my husband, but he told me pretty early on that he was not romantic and didn't give compliments a lot because he was left-handed. Now, I don't know if the left-handed has anything to do (laughs) with that, but the reality is he didn't need the romance. I needed it. I, I needed it. He didn't need it. And so often we get into these gender role things where we think, well, it's the man, he's supposed to do it. But ladies, if you need the romance, create it. It's okay for you to create it. So that's what I started doing is I started creating the romance and I loved it. The first couple of times I kind of begrudged it. Like he should be doing this for me, you know, and he better love it enough, you know, whatever. But then I realized, no, I enjoy this because I want the romance and I loved doing things for him. Like it was so fun to set up a weekend away or surprise him with a picnic on the living room floor when he came home and whatever it happened to be, you know, big things, little things, whatever. Uh, It's okay. Whoever is the romantic one in the couple to create it and let the other one enjoy it. I'm comedian David Race in Los Angeles. I host a celebrity-filled paranormal talk show like no other. Monstrosity has great guests answering weird questions. You won't believe the combo of celebrities and paranormal experts who've been on this show. I guarantee you'll like Monstrosity, or you get your time back. Go to monstrositypodcast.com right now and take a look. I watched a movie last night, and it's called uh, Sign of Life. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but the the premise of it is, and it sounds crazy, but, um, you know, when David Bowie died, uh, this lady is like, I mean, she's totally distraught, and she's having this argument with her, I guess it's her boyfriend, and she uh she's telling him you know i i you know david bowie died and he's you know 
we didn't know him. Why, you know, why are you so upset? We didn't know who this guy was. And she just don't understand. And it just started escalating from there. Uh, it's uh, what else did she say? Oh, you know, sometimes I just need you to take things seriously. And all you want to do is joke. And then I, I expect you to, you know, make that, that grand gesture and, he goes, well, like what? And she goes, well, if I tell you, then it, it's you're going to do it. And then I'm not going to like it or, you know, because you're doing it only because I told you to. And he says, well, can you just give me an example so I know what I'm supposed to do? And she's she's like, no, I, I can't even give you an example because it's just it's you're just supposed to know it. You're supposed to read my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, during this argument, he falls into a wormhole. And then he's gone for 25 years and he all of a sudden comes out of the wormhole and she has waited all her life expecting him to, you know, to come back. And so she's pretty much wasted her life waiting on this guy. And then she starts to realize where she had gone wrong. And then they went into the wormhole together. They ended up back to where he had first went in. And then they're listening to each other argue in the in the living room and i think that's when things started to click and i don't know it, something like that makes you think but we can't read each other's minds we kind of got to let each other know what we expect i mean is that too much to ask or should we just already know this stuff <laughs> yeah if only we already knew this stuff right <laughs> We'd be in a different position. I had a, this experience when I was early married within my first year of marriage. And I was very mature, 18 year old, and he was barely old enough to buy beer. So maybe we could have been a little older and been a little bit more mature going into the relationship. But I thought, oh, I'm going to surprise him with everything he loves. I'm going to clean our apartment. He's going to come home. It's going to be beautiful make his favorite dinner. He loved lasagna. I was made lasagna. His favorite dessert was German chocolate cake. I made it from scratch and everything was ready. There were candles on the table and I put on something kind of sexy. And so when he came home, he opened the door and walked in and, and said, Hey, you know, like any other day, he didn't say, Hey baby, you look so great. Or, Oh gosh, you cleaned the apartment. Not nothing. He said nothing. He just acted like it was just another day. We sat down for dinner and I'm thinking, well, certainly he's going to say how much he appreciates that I made lasagna and how great it is. He didn't say a word. He was talking about his day, just talking about regular things. Didn't say a word, not a word. Mm -hmm. I was getting angrier and angrier. So by the time dessert came around, I practically threw the cake at him and he said, well, what's the matter? Why are you mad? And I said, I did all this and you said nothing about it. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. First of all, I can't read your mind. Secondly, I've done nothing wrong. It's your expectations that have gotten you in trouble. I didn't know you expected those things. And boy, that made me mad. Cause I thought, first of all, you're trying to teach me some sort of a lesson. You're not my father, you're my husband. I got up from the table and I went in the bedroom, slammed the door and I thinking my expectations he's got nerve you know I did all this he says nothing and he's blaming me my expectations and then I said uh 
my expectations. He was absolutely right. I never communicated that to him. You know, so often we want to dress up, you know, we're, we're looking great going to somebody's wedding or going to something special and we are looking fine. And our husband says nothing at all. And, and we're mad or, or we say, how do I look? And they say, good. And we're mad because they didn't say what we expected them to say. And we don't want to have to ask for the compliment. Well, it's kind of silly when you think about it. it it's a silly thing. You know, you're hoping that your husband looks at you and always thinks you're looking fine. Not just because you put a better dress on than you usually wear. And maybe you wore your hair a little bit different. If you think about it, if he goes all gaga over that, you might feel a little inferior the days that you just get up and put some sweats on and throw your hair in a ponytail. So think about things in a different way. And instead of having these unmet expectations, communicate and realize it's okay to communicate and that we're all different. And you married him for him, not for the things he does. You didn't, you didn't stop loving him or you shouldn't stop loving him because you get married, you're all in love, you get married, and then he leaves his dirty underwear on the bedroom floor. That shouldn't make you stop loving him. Well, that's something he did. It's not who he is. You love him for who he is. So separate the things from the who and realize what's really important. Yeah, I have this bad habit of when I, I need something to be done, something needs to get done. I like to get it done right away so I don't have to think about it anymore. And then when somebody tells me they're going to do something, I'm expecting them to go do it right then. And then, you know, a day goes by and it's not been done yet. I get really frustrated and I just end up doing it myself. Um, I mean, a lot of times if it's not done in the first 15 minutes of discussing it, I'll just not say a word, go in there. And I'm pissed off and I'll do whatever needs to be done. And I guess I should express this is my expectations and is it really worth getting upset about because it didn't get done right away? Yeah. Yeah. Good point. And I think too, uh, it, when you talk about it and say, Hey, I need you to do this, or this, this needs to be done to put a timeline on it. Right. Because mm -hmm. somebody might hear this needs to be done and they figure, well, you know, I got all week, you know, I'll do it when I want to do it when I can, whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you say, hey, uh, I need this done and I need it done in the next couple of hours, well, then you're expressing your expectation and then the frustration never has to happen. The frustration could come if they agree to it and then don't do it <laughs> after you put a timeline on it. Then you might yeah. go back and go, hey, you know, you were supposed to get this done and and uh, now I'm doing it or or whatever. But. But yeah, I mean, you, you do, you need to express your expectations fully, not just partially and, and yeah. uh, realize that nobody reads your mind. Your wife doesn't, nobody does. Yeah. And so, you know, tell them what's on your mind. That, yeah. That and, it's, and it's not just with my wife. I mean, it's with the kids and most of the time it's with the kids, you know, I go do this. I mean, they're adults and, you know, you, you expect them to be, uh, I, I don't know. The, you, you expect them to be more responsible anyway. 
but yeah, I don't care if they're 25, 30 years old, they're still almost as if they're, you know, five years old. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And then you expect them to be like you, you expect them to think like you, you expect them mm-hmm. to think like the guy that's your age. And if you think back at how you were thinking at 25, you might've been more like they are at 25. Because hopefully we're growing, maturing, and doing this life thing better. Yeah. So you um you have two books. Are you writing anymore? I am. I am. I yeah. My two books that I currently have, uh, "Cry Until You Laugh" is my mm-hmm. first one, and "Love Is" about my year long quest to find the true meaning of love is my second one. But I'm working on a book right now, a book on grief. Because just like love is misunderstood, grief can be misunderstood as well. And so I'm working on a book on co-authoring, actually, with a medium who is fantastic. Oh, nice. I love her, Stephanie Barton. She's one of a kind. She's amazing. And uh, so I think that will be really interesting. It's been fun working with her. And I'm working on Love is for Kids. Oh, Nice. Uh, when I, when it comes to grief, <clears throat> I mean, the first thing that pops into mind is that we've lost a loved one. But one I don't think that we talk enough about is the the grief of when you've had to break off a relationship. Um, I'll use this as an example. I have I have a friend, he's a very close friend, but he's doing things he shouldn't be doing, and so I uh, I'm kind of distancing myself from him and it feels almost as if he's died mm-hmm. and you know I'm going through that awkward phase it feels like grief I mean it is grief um, do you touch on that or is it just mainly with people who have passed away no you're you're absolutely right I mean uh, people that divorce grieve uh, people that lose any type of a relationship grieve you know so yeah no grief grief uh comes in in different ways at different times in our lives but uh yeah that is grief but i would also say that if if you have a friend a a spouse a partner uh, anybody who is doing things that they shouldn't be doing whether they're physically hurting you or mentally hurting you or selling drugs or, uh, you know, an addiction that, that they don't want to deal with or whatever, you know, whatever's going on. Uh, I think sometimes people think they have to stay in a relationship like that because they need your help or uh, it would be wrong to walk away. And how is that love if you walk away? But I think the opposite is true. I think love would say walk away mm-hmm. because if you stay in the relationship it means you're enabling the person to continue the behavior. And uh, you don't want to be an enabler. Then you're that's setting right. yourself up for codependence. And that's that's not good. That's not healthy. That's not a healthy relationship. So sometimes the best thing to do is walk away. But yes, there can certainly and usually is grief in that for sure. Yeah, I've already had the heart to heart talk and then i get the oh no i i got it under control i got it under control and i know that he doesn't and as much as it hurts i just i I have to distance myself from that uh 
can't be a part of it. It not only affects me, but it affects my family. And I know it's got to be affecting his family, but he doesn't want to see it. And we well, just, and you have no control over him, right? No, I mean, we, we don't, don't control anybody. You know, we have the we bring these babies home from the hospital and we control everything. We control when they eat. We control when they get a bath. We control when they go to bed. But then six, seven, eight months later, all of your Tupperware is all over the kitchen floor and your pots and pans are banging everywhere. And you realize you've lost total control and you will never get it back again, ever. So we don't control anybody but ourselves. And it can be so difficult when there's a family member, a friend, somebody, a coworker, where from the outside looking in, you can be say, thinking to yourself, if they only, you know, why doesn't he change this part? Why doesn't he see this in him? And then want to give advice. Well, advice that's unsolicited uh, usually turns out to be the advice might be good, but it will hurt the relationship. Yeah. You know, nobody really wants unsolicited advice. If people ask for advice, you know, gingerly, carefully give it to them, but realize you have no control. So right. even if you give advice, it's still their choice how they're going to live. You, you just have no control over that. But what you can control is your response to it. And it sounds That's like right. you're doing the right thing, walking away. And it could be that with time, he'll he'll open his eyes and see what's going on and change and come back to you and go, you made me look, you know, you walking away made me look, you know, who knows, who knows what the future will hold. But yeah, I absolutely agree with stuff like that. that it's hard. Yeah, and the sad thing is, is I, I think it's going to take hitting rock bottom before mm -hmm. he decides to change if that's even going to do it at this point but here this last couple of years um, it, I've had to make that same decision to walk away from and this is with family members you know this, I have I have an aunt that I love dearly I mean she was my favorite person in the world and she's uh I don't I I guess I shouldn't air dirty laundry on here, but uh, let's just say she has made some decisions and has this perception that's not true. And we just, uh, I just don't have anything to do with her anymore. And I hate that because I, she was my favorite person. And, mm. um, and, it's like nonstop grief, it seems like. And the I guess the thing is, is it's it's starting to really affect me mentally. Well, you know, and, I think, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. But, you know, my I've noticed that even my attitude lately has kind of soured because so much of this stuff is going on and... I know I can't control it and I'm not trying to control it. I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing, but it's still, it's hurting. And uh, I, I hate that my attitude sucks from it. Yeah. Well, that that's the choice that you're making though. Right. Yeah. Like we get to pick how we respond to things. Like yeah, the, two guys could be in the same, in the same traffic jam. And the first guy in, in the first car 
is angry and upset and his blood pressure is rising and he's honking his horn. He's yelling out the window and, and he's just so upset that he's changing his physiology. Like things are going really bad for him. And the guy in the next car could be going, well, uh, yeah, I'm stuck. There's nothing I can do about it. Kyle's got this great podcast. Maybe I'll turn that on and listen. <laughs> and and is just chill about it because you get to pick your response to things. You, you get to pick your response. Oh, yeah. And so if your response is letting other people get you down, letting them bring you down, then that's what's going to happen. But you can choose to not. But going back to grief, one, one thing that I think uh, sometimes people misunderstand is we want to use the words move on you have to move on you have to move on well i don't think it's moving on and i think it's moving forward you know you you're not going to forget that person you love no, your of course not. you still love her right mm -hmm. and you still love your friend it, it you're not going to forget the great times or or anything like that but you need to move forward in your life you needed to make the separation and move forward and grief isn't something that just goes away you know uh life can change i remember when my husband died i i was in a fog for a while not thinking clearly i went to some movie with a blue guy i don't even remember the name of the movie but it was so weird and and i just thought what am i doing here all these people in the theater like they're happy to be at a movie and i just lost my husband like i was just in this fog in this funk and I'm not in a fog anymore, but I still grieve my husband. I well, still miss course. my husband. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know what you mean. Um, I've lost my brother and it's been what, 22 years now since he passed away. And I still, from time to time, just kind of break down. I think, you know, we were supposed to grow old and sit on the porch and be grumpy old men and, <laughs> I don't have that, mm -hmm. but, you know, moving forward, I have made some relationships that are very much like a brotherhood or a sisterhood. And, and, uh, I, I guess I can still enjoy those moments, but it just happens to be somebody else there. Right. Right. And you wish it was your brother, of you know, but there's, there's nothing like that relationship, right? If you, if you mm -hmm. nurture it and some brothers are very close and, uh, it's hard. It's it's hard, but it's also okay to still grieve it. You know, I think uh, people think that there's a timeline on grief. Like you should be done grieving at some point in time, but you don't ever have to be done. People shouldn't judge your grief and you shouldn't worry about how you grieve. Just grieve the way you do. And so when there are those moments that you cry, it's going to happen and it, it's okay. It's all right. You know, sometimes you need to get it out and think, think about him and think about the memories and, and it can be easy to go, gosh, what would we be doing now? You know, had he not passed away, where would we be? You know, would we be traveling our families together to Mexico or, you know, would we be the grumpy old men sitting on the front porch? What, what would we be doing and the things that you like to do together and, and all of that stuff. And, and I think too, like uh, people, when they lose somebody sometimes feel like uh, they're being disrespectful 
dishonoring if they laugh again, if they have fun again in life. And mm -hmm. I think the opposite is true. I think that if you really want to honor the person who's left you, then be happier, be happier, live fuller, enjoy mm -hmm. the life that you have. That's honoring to the person that you've lost, like live for the both of you and, and enjoy that life. Mm -hmm. And you have permission to smile again and you have permission to cry. You know, we have to do that for each other, give each other grace and, and let us grieve the way we grieve. Yeah. I mean, we would expect uh, our loved ones to go on and be happy and not sit there and, and, you know, cry over us every day. And of course, everybody wants to be remembered, but you know, if I'm gone, I want my kids to be happy and enjoy their children and, and live their lives to the fullest. It's, yeah. it's unreasonable to think, you know, you should be grieving for the rest of your life. Yeah, I think the people that would say that they hope you grieve and just are sad and wallow in the grief and stay in the grief the whole rest of your life, those probably are people you don't necessarily want in your life. Right. <laughs> you know, exactly. I mean, if you really love somebody, of course, you're going to want them to be happy and enjoy. And I think another thing is, yeah, I don't know how, how often people ask you about your brother. Like, what was he like? Like, we want to talk about our people, right? Like you want to tell mm -hmm. stories about your brother and people can be afraid to, gosh, I'm going to, you know, open up an old wound or if I remind him, then he's going to be sad again or whatever I tell her, then she's going to be upset. And, and no, I mean, we want to talk about our people. We want to tell stories and, and think about the good times and, and think about stuff we used to do, you know? And, and so it's okay. Probably if people ask you about your brother. Oh yeah, I love talking about him because he he was awesome. You know, he uh, he could do some really goofy things. He could do some stuff that would just blow my mind. Like, how in the world <laughs> did you learn that? Or you know, he taught himself how to play guitar. Wow! Yeah, wow. You know, and then he would start taking guitars apart and learn to put them back together and other things like that. And and. Uh, but yeah, this was the this was the guy that when he was, you know, eight years old, would be walking down the hallway uh, in my grandparents' house with cowboy boots on and and shorts on, <laughs> and a long sleeve shirt. <laughs> you know, I'm, do you remember when we used to take your tape recorder and you would try to either tape a, a song off the radio or something like that? All right. Okay. So I loved the Dukes of Hazard. That was one of my favorite shows. And I loved the, the theme song. So I would wait until the show would come on and I'd try to, to record it. Well, I said, it sounds like I'm trying to do this all the time. I was trying to do it this one time. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm recording it and I'm all excited. And then I hear clump, 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 clump on down the That was us, you know. Um, he was really good with money. Uh, he, he, uh, you know, he bought his first car and did all that stuff on his own at a very young age, and just very responsible. And I just hated that he ended his life. He felt like 
you know, the situation he was in. He had to go out that way. But there are so many good things about him. I just wished I had told him when he was here. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, because he ended his life, people probably ask you less about him than they would otherwise. My My mom died that way. And for years, nobody told stories. Nobody asked about my mom. And then I finally thought, well, I want to talk about her. You know, there was a lot of great things about my mom. She was obviously in pain inside, internally, mentally, whatever, in pain that she would go to that place where she wanted to end her life. Right. So that was a moment of her 51 years. There were a lot of other moments that were wonderful in those 51 years. And so I just kind of started talking about her and then people would ask questions and it worked. Like it's, it is, it's healing, I think too, but it's fun mm -hmm. to remember the good times. It, it feels good. You kind of bring you back to those feelings, like a, yeah. a clump, clump, clump <laughs> down the hallway, <laughs> wrecking your song. <laughs> yes. Uh, something that um, that I deal with and I, I I'm hoping that you help people with that go through the same thing is uh, that survivor survivor's grief. Where, you know, I, I feel like he should be here and I should be the one that's gone. You know, um, I mean, do you deal with that often? Yeah, I mean, that that's a real thing. I mean, some people die over survivor's guilt you know yeah. some some people mm -hmm. take it to the extreme and i think it goes back to the to the honoring honor honor the person who's gone it, it's i think when somebody you love somebody you know someone you're close to ends their own life it's a whole different way to die it's a whole different way to leave people because mm -hmm. there are questions and we question ourselves why didn't we see? How could we have stopped it? If I would have just stopped over that day, if I would have picked up the phone and called, if I would have, if I would have, if I would have, but, but we can't go back. We can't go back. And so your brother was in this pain, you know, whatever was going on in his life, he felt like this was the way out. It's interesting because after my mom died, I thought, I thought of, of ending your life was the most selfish thing you could do. That, that's what I thought, because you're leaving these people in such a bad way, right? And in such pain. But then I heard this man who was, he was a football coach at one of the big universities in Florida. And football was his life, you know, D1 football coach in, in Florida. You know, you're, you're a big deal. And so his life was, was that. And he had a wife and kids and, and uh, he got caught illegally recruiting and he lost his job mm. and losing his job. It's like he lost his identity. He lost everything. And he was embarrassed. He was embarrassed for his family. He thought he was a disgrace. And so he thought the best thing he could do for his family, the most selfless thing he could do would be to end his life. So he got his affairs in order, you know, made sure the life insurance was paid up, whatever he had to do, planned it for a while. And then he had a note delivered to a friend of his that was a, a policeman 
and it was going to be delivered at the right time that and just to tell him where to go find his body and he drove out to some remote place near where he lived and he took a hose and he put it in his exhaust and then up through his front window closed closed the window as much as he could and started the engine and then the fumes made him nauseous and he didn't want to throw up in the car and make that mess so he opened the door to throw up outside and he passed out and fell out of the car and that's what saved his life and wow. yeah and so to hear somebody who was there he wanted to end his life i mean he planted it, it he was really doing it and to hear that it wasn't a selfish thing but the exact opposite of that i'd never thought of that before but i think that's true quite often that's true yeah well another thing that i've dealt with is that you know i've I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. And one of the biggest ones was that I was a severe alcoholic drug addict. And I, I was just an awful father. I and mean, there's no way around it. I was terrible as a father. You know, I often thought it'd just be better off if I wasn't here, you know, I already ruined my kids' lives, so, you know, just totally get out of the picture. And I tried my my best to, to get, a, you know, be a better father. You know, I don't drink anymore. I don't do drugs anymore and try to spend a lot of time with, with my family and let them know that I love them. And, but, you know, there's still that part of me that's like, why am I even here? You know, I'm better. They're better off without me. I mean, how do you deal with somebody with a mentality like that? Well, I think, first of all, you, you have to realize those things aren't happening today. That was yesterday, not even yesterday. That was however long ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, addictions are tough. Addictions are tough. You got the gene, brother. You got the gene. You know, it's been medically proven, scientifically proven that that some of us have the gene and some of us don't. My mom was an alcoholic. I don't have the gene. And I'm so grateful that I don't have the gene. I have a son with the gene. And mm -hmm. and he has been sober now for a couple of years and doing really great. But he was down to his, his you know, a day away from living on the streets. And it was tough. And showing him tough love at the time was hard and uh, that's difficult stuff. But I don't think about that period of his life. Mm -hmm. I think about the good times and I think about the good times I'm having now. So your kids probably are the same. You know, they're not thinking about their dad that was living in the addiction, but they're thinking about the good times that you're having together now and, and that you overcame it. I mean, you're probably a hero to them. I mean, not everybody overcomes their addictions. Not everybody gets to the other side and uh, manages things. I mean, that's heroic. It's brave. It's It would have been so much easier for you to keep drinking and doing drugs. That would have been so much easier. You know, not doing those things. It's hard. That's tough. And you did it because you love your family. 
you did it because that's where you wanted to be. You wanted to be that dad. And now you're that dad. Well, I didn't want to spend the rest of my life alone. And I know if I'd kept drinking and doing the drugs, that's exactly where I would have ended, you know, mm -hmm. you know, ended up. I would, I'd have had my buddies that I could drink and do my drugs with, but you know, that's not the same as being able to go pick up my grandkids and love on them and, you know, spoil them. And I, I wouldn't have that now if I'd have kept down that path and, you know, my, my relationship is definitely a lot better with my kids. Sometimes I can tell they still have a bit of resentment towards me, but they don't, they try not to make it too apparent, <laughs> you know, but it, I mean, they're still doing things with me and calling me and saying, Hey dad, I love you. And that means everything in the world to me. I, I just got to get rid of this guilt. That's on me. It's, it's all in my head. My wife tells me that all the time. You need to get that out of your head. It's just really hard when you've done so much damage. And Yeah, but I, which I get, of course it is. It It is hard because you, you see what you were responsible for, but now you look at your kids and I'm sure you're proud of them, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. you're a grandpa, you're a grandpa. So somebody in your family's reproducing and that's <laughs> kind of fun. And, you know, I, I think about my own grandparents growing up, they could do no wrong. I'm a, I'm a grandma 11 times over. And, and I think about it, like, uh, having a puppy, having a dog that uh that goes to the bathroom on their own and feeds themselves because it, you go to the door you get there and they run to the door they can't wait to see you and welcome you in and and no matter what you do it's funny you're no matter what you do it's the right thing you can do no wrong in your grandkids eyes and we love that you know i love that that they now they're getting older so they think i'm a little kooky probably but they are great and wonderful and and my grandparents were that to me. And I think that that when you're in the middle of raising kids, with or without an addiction, with an addiction, all the tougher, but with or without an addiction, I can tell you that my kids, my five kids, every one of them has had a time in their life, they're all grown, but every one of them has had a period of time where they were so good at telling me everything I did wrong. They let me know everything, you know, the whole laundry list of things that I should have done differently. And when you're raising kids, you make the decisions that you make thinking it's best for them. You're not trying to hurt them. And so, you know, eventually they got over, well, maybe she didn't screw up too bad, you know, whatever. I mean, they, they're all good people, you know, whatever, whatever, something went right somewhere along the way. And so, I think it's easy to criticize parents no matter what. And sometimes you you break a trust, right? Like, you know, your your kid saw the, this other dad that didn't drink and and thought, well, why, why is my dad drinking? And so trust quite often has to be earned back. And so if you're feeling like they still have some resentment, maybe they're just putting up a little bit of a wall just in case things go down south again and the longer they don't the smaller that wall will be until it's gone completely 
And we could touch on so many things, but unfortunately we've run out of time today. So, um, Kim, you, how do people get a hold of you if they want your, they want your services? Well, uh, my last name is Sorrell and my website's Kim Sorrell, but Sorrell is uh, ridiculous. I'm literally the only Kim Sorrell spelled my way in the entire world because wow. there are way too many letters in my last name. There are two R's, <laughs> two E's, two L's. S-O-R-R-E-L-L-E. So kimsorrell.com is my website. Uh, but my most recent book, Love Is, is very easy to find. And and I'm pretty Googleable under Love Is. You'll find me. And I love it when people reach out and love to talk to people and help any way I can, wherever I can. Well, I will definitely put the links in the description. And uh, thank you so much for coming back and you know, you're welcome to come back again. I mean, I feel like we can have so many other things we could touch on. I think that's true. I think that's true. I know. I wish you lived close by and take you and your wife out for dinner. We could talk and talk and have a good time. So thank you for having me back. Oh, definitely. I also want to thank all you folks out there. If you are new to this channel, well, first of all, thanks for stopping by. But I hope you'll come back. Hit that subscribe button. And for all my regulars, I thank y'all because you make it possible for me to do this. Like these videos, share them out. And until the next one, everyone, please take care. Be kind to one another. God bless and peace. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Listen to the Vibes. You can catch us on Buzzsprout or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook at The Vibes Broadcast Network. 